Genesis, Origins and Foundations. You know, there has never been a book that's opened with such a dramatic introduction as the book of Genesis. In just a few short verses is like a universe of truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. How wonderful it is that through God's Word, the Bible, we can be taken back to the very beginning of everything. For none of us was there, though we do ask questions about Jeff. He might have been there. No, none of us was there. Only God was there, wasn't he? And how wonderful that God has chosen through the book of Genesis to begin a self-revelation of himself to us by starting at the very beginning. Everything that he reveals after this beginning progressively through the Bible begins on this foundation and the origin, the cornerstone of the revelation which is in the book of Genesis. It's a record of the beginning of the universe, of the heavens which didn't previously exist, of the earth. It's the beginning of time as we understand it. And you know, in just the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, most of the ultimate questions about life are addressed. Because we find that in those three chapters, answers to such fundamental questions such as, who am I? How did I get here? Who's God? Where did the world come from? How am I supposed to live? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? What is evil? What is good? What is marriage? What's the role of the husband? What's the role of the wife? What is a family? What's the devil? What is his most dangerous lie? What is temptation? What is sin? What is the consequence of sin? Is there any hope? Is there any deliverance from the consequences of sin? What is death? What? lies on the other side of death. And all of those questions the great philosophers of the ages have wrestled with, trying to find an answer from the earliest Greeks back in Athens, Plato and Socrates and Seneca, through a seemingly endless list of very clever human philosophers. And indeed, every one of us has wrestled with trying to find the answers to the questions which we will find are all here in the book of Genesis. Everything you need to know about you, about the world, 
about God, about Satan, about Christ, about salvation and death. It's all here. But what it states confronts an innumerable amount of other worldviews. Do we live on an old earth? Do we live on a young earth? Is it billions of years old? Is it thousands of years old? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken, obviously. Did Adam have a navel? So I understand that the first three chapters of Genesis, oh, sorry, to understand the first three chapters of Genesis is really to understand the central important issues of life and to be correct here is to build upon rock because it will enable you to correctly build all your other understandings of Scripture. So let's begin then with the creation of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the beginning of six days of creation. It's the beginning of time. It's the beginning of the universe. Because before the beginning, there was nothing except God. There was not even heaven, there was no earth, there was no solar system, there was just our triune God. And God in Genesis pulls back the veil over the beginning of creation and reveals himself to be the creator of everything. Everything is flowing from God. God is previous to everything. Everything flows from the breath of God, all human history, because God is first, God is foremost, and before there is the earth, before there is man, before there is anything, there is God. Now, the very first mention of his name is the word Elohim. El is God, and Elohim is plural, God's. And so the Trinity is implied at the first mention of his name in the very first sentence in the Bible. One God, but plural gods. And it's, it's what's called in the Hebrew language a majestic plural, like an intensification of God. It's not just God, it's God. And it means strength, and the powerful one, the all-powerful one. Because all power in the universe, all power in the universe comes from God. Even the power that you had to walk in here this morning is a delegated power which came from God. And you wouldn't have that power unless it was given to you. God is the first cause of every consequence that there shall ever be. All space all time, all matter begins from the breath of God. And the Bible doesn't try to defend that, doesn't try to defend the existence of God. It simply declares God. And Moses, who wrote Genesis, also wrote Psalm 90, and he puts it this way in Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from the everlasting to the everlasting, you are God. God has existed 
from all eternity past. God towers over time. God will exist throughout all eternity. And then God is self-existent within himself. He has no needs to be met from the outside of himself. He is totally self-sufficient, self-satisfied. And God created. Why? Simply to display the greatness of who he is. We go to the end of the Bible to Revelation. We can see that there in Revelation 4 verse 8. Each of the four living creatures, this is a vision of, of heaven, had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, this is what they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God is the Lord Almighty who was and he is and he is to come. He's the past, he's the present, he's the future. This is the eternality of God. It's the immutability, which just means he doesn't change himself for anything, he doesn't need to. And the omnipotence, nothing would be here without his power. And here's a word, created. This is what distinguishes God from everything else because everything else will be created except God for he created everything and he created it ex nihilo is the Latin for out of nothing. You know, we, when we create we already we have to use something which is already in existence in order to create. And anything we create is just a new arrangement of pre-existing material. And God, who creates from nothing, is in a capacity just completely superlative to anything we do. It's another level of creating. God doesn't even speak things into existence out of thin air because there was no thin air even when it started. He just created out of nothing. And when he did that, he created with immeasurable power in, and with incomprehensible genius, with infinite wisdom. First he made the heavens. That's everything above us, all galaxies, the stars, and the things in the night sky. There's also heaven and the heavenly courts. Psalm 33 verse 6 tells us this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And he also created the planet Earth. And if you put heavens and Earth together, it, it sort of implies everything in between. You know, it's like saying from coast to coast, from New South Wales to Western Australia with all of South Australia and the territory in between. A poetic way of saying everything on the heavens and on the Earth. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed God's command. So what, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
And if you have faith in God, as revealed in the Bible, then you have no problems with Genesis 1. If you have your own view of God, however, maybe. So I thought we'd put on a philosopher's hat for a moment, go into a bit of the, the, the world that philosophers exist in. And R.C. Sproul uh, has this to say. He's, we'd have put your logic thinking on now. If anything exists now, then there never could have been a time when there was nothing. Because the most fundamental maxim or rule of, of all reason and all science and all philosophy is this maxim, put a Latin for you, ex nihilo nihil fit, which means out of nothing, nothing comes. Simple, but profound. It takes more faith to be an atheist than to be a believer. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So if, if there ever was a time when there was nothing, pre-creation, that would include even no God. And that the only thing that could possibly be now could not possibly be now. If there was nothing before creation, then it would be impossible for there to be creation because creation demands a creator. Creation does not create itself. The only possible explanation for creation is that there was Elohim, the all-powerful God, the only one able to create the universe because not even the smallest subatomic particle could be there before creation because who created that particle? And particles don't produce a universe. If ever there was a time when there was nothing, there would be nothing now. So if the equation is God or chance, the only possible solution is God because chance can do nothing. Chance is nothing. It doesn't exist. It's a pagan myth which has no basis in existence or reality. And the only possible reasonable explanation for everything is God. Only God, who is eternal, who pre-existed before everything, could be the explanation for everything. Only God, who is all-powerful, and who could create out of nothing could be the explanation for everything. You know what the atheist believes? Nothing times nobody equals everything. No. God is the only rational, reasonable explanation for the universe and our existence. You know, there was no one there at the time to oppose his plan. He simply chose to create because he is the sovereign God and he alone could create. Consider the form of the earth in the very first phase of creation. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. What was it like? It was formless, sort of like deformed, just a blob of matter without shape 
which I think is really the raw materials. All the stuff God needed for his project, his masterpiece, it was there, it was ready to go. And at that time it was also desolate, which is void, no life, barren, stark, empty, uninhabited and uninhabitable. And it was also at that time it was dark, no light, completely engulfed in darkness, incapable of hosting everything and just pitch black. And it was also drowned, it was deep, the colossal oceans covered it. And so that raw material on that first day, what did God bring in next? Light. Now we know the crops don't grow without it, without sunlight, and God bringing in light at the very start may be saying that light is far more important for creation than we realise. And then also note that with the advent of light, it's now possible to see the difference between light and dark, and now we can talk about there being days and nights. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called that light day. In the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We're going to talk a bit about mankind's most pervasive lie about creation, which is evolution. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But we'll, we'll read through truth first, the revealed truth. So, verse 6, And God said that there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. And so God made the vault and he separated the water under the vault from the water above it and was so and called the vault sky. And there was evening and the morning, the second day. And God said that the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so, and God called that dry ground land. And to gather the waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds and God saw it was good and there was the evening and the morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so and he made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teams and it moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the water in the seas, let the birds increase on the earth. 
there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And the God said, let the land produce the living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I'll give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, this revelation by the Lord God to Moses of what he did, when there was no one else around to observe, it's simple, it's direct, it's profound, it's clear, and it's also a gift to us. Because it explains why we have the very gift of life, why we have our breath in our lungs, why we have blood in our veins. It explains what happened when none of us were there. But chapter 3 will reveal why so many of us don't believe that. This story of the creation of the universe is generally considered a fairy tale in Australia. And it's considered a fairy tale not because of the facts, but because of the implications. It's information which demands a response. There is a God. And this God is infinitely powerful because he could create a universe in six days from his will just by speaking. And so... We can't get away with living as though there is no God, with no accountability. We can't just justify being ostriches with our heads in the sand because our butts are really exposed and in danger of getting severely kicked. So sadly, humanity's creativity, which is 
just such a shallow reflection of God's creativity. Sadly, that's been channeled throughout human history into developing all manner of naive or illogical, fanciful, diabolical, rebellious arguments and excuses for not believing this story. One of the most pervasive of these, well, let's just avoid the truth at all cost stories, is evolution. And it claims that the world evolved by chance, by survival of the fittest. And give time for chance to work, we have to throw in a few billion years. But evolution is not scientific as it claims to be. It's not reasonable, it's not. It's just impossible and it's irrational. And we'll, we'll talk about why. Because you see, there's never been even the smallest bit of evidence on any level, chemically, that it can or will organise itself by itself. Even if you put energy onto it from outside. There's no, energy, no evidence ever of that. That it could organise itself upward to viable life and then continually higher life and finally rich human life. There's never been any evidence that matter does that. Over a hundred years ago, Louis Pasteur proved that spontaneous biogenesis cannot occur. A cell cannot increase its complexity. A cell cannot add into itself information necessary in its DNA or genetic code to take a higher level. It's, not, it's impossible. It's never been done and it's never been seen to be done because nothing mutates upwards. In fact, natural selection, one of Darwin's favourite phrases, the process of change or mutation is always downwards, never upward. Individual lives within a species who vary too much from the centre of the species go downwards which is a very famous law, the law of entropy. It's the second law of thermodynamics, which in simple terms means that if you leave stuff to itself, everything in the universe moves towards disorder and decay. Metal rusts, food rots, the body deteriorates. And so mutants and mutations don't improve any species, they decline. Natural selection is only downwards, not upwards. And in fact, it prevents evolution from taking place because no species is capable of moving upwards. Now, it's true that species die. There are thousands, perhaps millions of species which have died out. There were a lot more species around, weren't there? I mean, we all know about dinosaurs. We don't see them down the main street. There may well have been other kinds of apes and fruits and fish, etc. And they may look like they're a link between various species. But there's never been one shred of proof that one kind of species can become another, let alone a higher form of life. And so evolution with its theory of chaos, of unintelligent matter existing random features, organising itself by chance into highly complex forms and ultimately to the level of human intelligence 
it's just really so preposterous, so scientifically inaccurate that no honest person would believe it. Now, of course, we don't need evolution to explain how it happened because we've just read how the universe was created. Inorganic matter just can't organise itself upwards to become organic. Organic matter cannot organise itself by random features to become more complex and ultimately to reach the level of human intelligence and personality. Popular idea today says, well, couldn't God have used evolution after God created the, the original matter? And that's what's called theistic evolution. But no, we couldn't because evolution is impossible, as we've just seen. The highly respected researcher A.E. Wilder Smith says, the necessary information to build man does not reside in the few elements it takes to compose him. Because you see, you can't explain man by the components that you can reduce him down to in a lab. Genetic information can't come from nowhere. It can't arise spontaneously by chance. And matter doesn't operate itself into organising itself into a higher level of complexity because everything requires information from the outside. Intelligence, external intelligence is critical for all matter, for all energy. Information from an intelligent, life-giving source, namely God. So there shouldn't be any question about how the universe came into existence. It was clearly answered in verse 1 of Genesis. And, you know, if there was a better theory than evolution, scientists would be lining up to get it, but they don't have any, alter any alternative to evolution other than what we've read about, that God made it. And that is intolerable to sinful people. Because the Creator is also the moral authority of the universe and is also the judge of all mankind. Well, the good news is that knowing how we came to be alive gives us a hope. We're here because God wanted us here. There's meaning in that. God the Father wants to present God the Son a bride at the end of the world, this world's days. He wants to present the bride of Christ. He wants to present a great multitude of us who have been redeemed from this wild and wonderful world. He wants to present the family of God. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit and us, the church, call out the people to find this meaning that we've read about in Genesis, that God created this world and it contains a wonderful invitation for us. Let's look to Revelation 22, verse 17. The invitation, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Yes, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Will you come and accept God's plan for your life? He created you as a reflection of you to share eternity with you. And if you say yes to the Creator God, 
if you asked him to forgive you for all your miscreation of your life, then he will recreate your life and he'll produce fruit in you like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. So to draw it to a close, we've answered so far a few of those core questions of life that we started with. And each one of those could be a lengthy sermon. But for the purpose of ending where we started, let's give a sample answer to those questions from what we looked at this morning. Question of who am I? I am a sentient being who exists due to the will of God. How did I get here? God created humanity of which I'm a descendant. Who is God? He's an infinitely powerful creator. Where did the world come from? From the mind and the will of God. And how then am I supposed to live in a worshipful relationship with Creator God? Can you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we have been to the beginning the beginning of this universe and we've found there that part of you which is your creator capacity. We know that you are so much more than that but you are here our creator and as you hovered over the chaos and you created life which was so good, we just are aware there are parts of our life which are still chaos. And so we want to pause and say, forgive us for not letting you in to that area. And we want to invite you to come into that part of our life, which is still chaos, and create order. Recreate us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And to that end, we dedicate ourselves and all of our life and all of our chaoses to love and serve Creator God. Amen and Hallelujah.